Another great episode of Mystery of Parenthood coming up. If you like what you hear, go to redsearadio.org, click on the donate button, and become a monthly sustaining member. Please support us. Thank you, and God bless. Yes, that music means you are listening to the Mystery of Parenthood, and um, I'm Trey Cashin, and that's Thaddeus Romanski, and um, we have got a great topic today, but let's begin with our prayer. Yeah, let's do it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, from you, every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Fountain of divine charity, grant that every family on earth may become, for each successive generation, a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our family sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the Church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you, who is life, truth, and love, with your Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Family of Nazareth, pray, pray for, for us. St. John Paul II, pray, pray for, for us. us. And Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Yeah, so we're, I, I think, you know, this is one of the, one of the shows that I think is, is sometimes helpful. Um, we're going to talk about four parenting styles. Um, this is not um, Catholic teaching. This is something from, uh, from secular uh, media. And, but I, but I think that you'll find it's like anything where they, where anybody, you know, labels certain parents is you'll find yourself probably some combination of, of the four, but I do think it's healthy to kind of just be aware of, um, these labels and, and be able to kind of name it and claim it when you see that you're one of these. Now, from from the media and from research per this article, um, this article is not from Catholic source, but it's from a, a lady named Catholic. I mean Catherine Lee. Um, it's on Very Well Family, and it's it's called "Why Being an Authoritative Authoritative Parent Is the Best Approach," and and she lays out four. Um, I'd always heard three, and I was talking to Thaddeus before the show that. It looks like this fourth one was kind of added, um, but I think it definitely is a fourth category when you kind of look around. Um, so we'll go through those. We'll go through those four, and then we're going to throw in some um, some catechism, and then a verse or two um, that that point us the direction. Which, as I've always said, you know, if if it's true, it's true. Whether it comes from secular media, but the the gauge of it being true is how consistent with the truth. Who is the person of Jesus Christ and what He's revealed in and through His Church and what He's revealed about His Father and and what a father, a true father, is like, um, is always the gauge of whether something's true or not. And in this case, I think if you read through it, if you accept the four styles, that you'll find that. There's a great deal of truth to the fact that we're meant to be authoritative parents, I guess, by this secular rendition of the various parenting styles. Um, we would call it being a purposeful parent. I think is kind of what we've what we've done, and and um, and I think that a purposeful parent is indeed authoritative. So, I think you had a. Couple catechism. Yeah, do you want to start with? Um, yeah, why don't we start with that? Because I think I think this will contextualize it as we mm-hmm. go into it, kind of where we're we're coming from. Because the the church in the catechism does have stuff to say about what a parent's responsibility is. So, yeah, which is it? What's what is? Yeah, this? so this is um, the catechism in the Catholic Church. It is the duties of parents section. So I'm looking at numbers twenty two twenty one through. 
22-31. It's good to it's good to actually go through and read through that because I think it'll be it'll challenge you. But um, but I think we have a few that. So a couple a couple points that uh, I think will be informative for evaluating these what's good and what's incorrect with these different types of parenting styles. And again, those are authoritarian, permissive, authoritative, and uninvolved. Okay, so 22-23, parents have the first responsibility for the education of their children. They bear witness to this responsibility by creating a home characterized by tenderness, forgiveness, respect, fidelity, and disinterested service. You educate your children in the virtues, Mm -hmm. self-denial, sound judgment, self-mastery. Parents have a, this is interesting, parents have a grave responsibility to give good example to their children. Yep. Yep. What does the Catholic Church mean when it says use that word grave? Well, grave, Trey. <laughs> well, grave Just points us to, to grave points us to the fact that someday this is not this is my the pun intended mm-hmm. to the fact that one day we're going to end up in a grave and 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 at that point we will be judged and mm-hmm. certain matters are more serious than others and so when the church says that something is grave it is something that we are going to be responsible for. Um, at, at at our judgment, we'll be responsible for all actions and our choices. But there are certain matters for which it's here. So I, you know, I've used this before with my kids. You know, when they didn't like something I was saying or whatever, I, I've said, "Look, you know, I'd love to make a decision that makes you happy, but the reality is, is the only person that is going to." judge me and that's going to be lasting is is not you, not your mother, it's God in the end. And I have to try to do what I think is best, even if it's wrong, even if I make a mistake. If I think that it's right and I and I feel compelled to do it, I have to make a decision consistent with that because if I do that, at least I can, <laughs> at the final judgment, uh, trusting in God's grace and mercy and forgiveness as well, I can do it, but I am going to die someday. And when I die, those grave matters, which I've not handled well, will be things that will be pointed out to me. So, right. Um, so that first one, twenty two, twenty three, is sort of um, a community of love and setting a good example. Right, and, okay. and there was a key word there that I thought is really important that that their their job is to create a home. Mm-hmm. So to create means that you actually have to take something that doesn't – I mean, create in, I guess, its truest sense means it's nothing was there before, which which in, in some sense is true. Before you get married and creating a home, there really is nothing there. So the two of you come together, mm-hmm. husband and wife, or if it's if you're a single parent, it doesn't matter. You're, met, you're, you're called to purposefully create a home, work at it, be purposeful. And and that and if we don't, um, that'll be part of it. But you know, we make mistakes. We we sometimes in an attempt to create a home that's one way, we may make choices that make it another way. I mean, we we all. I mean, I know we have um, by way we've handled something or dealt with with an issue. But the bottom line is, I think we've always tried to say we're not going to just sit back and let things happen. We're going to try to do something proactive with the help of God's grace to do it. And that's what the mystery parenthood is about. So, and I think creation was a, is an important part of that first um, item that you read. So then I think next go to 2225 through the grace of the sacrament of marriage, parents receive the responsibility and privilege responsibility and privilege of evangelizing their children. Education in the faith by the parents should begin in the child's earliest years. That next sentence was twenty two twenty six. Children, in turn, contribute to the growth in holiness of their parents. That's twenty two twenty seven. So all of those three are about how 
the home, the family is a place of learn living and learning the gospel. And right. you're living and learning the gospel back and forth, and it's the children and the parents who are in that back and forth giving and receiving of of the the faith. And I think we've talked about this a lot, but it is it is there is this other side of the coin that sometimes people miss, which is through the grace of the sacrament of marriage, the children are actually helping parents to grow in holiness. So when they disobey, when they misbehave, when they behave, when they are obedient, all of those things are are in some way being used because God is involved in the sacrament. His grace is there in the shaping and the, the growth and holiness of parents. And I think people sometimes think that all parenting is is this pouring out to the other for the sake of the other, and it is. But oftentimes we'll miss the fact that the very situations that we find ourselves in as parents in dealing with our children are situations that God was very aware that were going to happen and that he's going to use to help you to grow in holiness by forgiving that, by coming to you know recognition of, I love this child so much, God loves us more than that. You know, there, there are just so many things that I remember learning through raising children that that I that I know was God actually saying, "Hey, look at your child, how your how your child's behaving," and it can be good or bad. You know, when they've trusted or not trusted, and they can all be used to help us grow closer to God by saying, "Okay, now I understand at least in some small manner through my parenting what you as a father." God are mm-hmm. are going through. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. I think I think the last one I want to go to end on is to go back to the beginning of this section, and that's twenty two twenty one. The last part of that that paragraph it says the right and the duty of parents to educate their children are primordial and inalienable. Primordial, so that means from the beginning of time, and inalienable. Cannot be separated from them by um, outside. It's it's innate to the person. It's part. It's it's fundamental to the um, the role of parent. And, and I mean, the, and that inalienable word should sound familiar to us as Americans the, because right, you know we're told in the Declaration we have three inalienable rights given by God: life, life liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the Catholic Church is saying, and parents have an additional inalienable right here to educate their children. Right. And And then it goes on to explain education is in not just academics, but education in what it means to be a human person and what it means to be a Catholic. Absolutely. And and we, and that's another thing that I think that, that, the 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 society that we live in, we're we're very blessed to have schools that we can send our kids and and good and good youth programs we can send our children, but we can't. I think it's very easy sometimes as parents to put that and say, well, that's what that's my that's what I'm doing. I'm putting it in there to do that. When in reality, we should be the measurer as somebody who has entrusted their children into this school or that or this youth program or that, we have to stay involved. There's nothing wrong with that. It's complementary to us, but it is not a replacement of us, and we can never let it be a replacement for us. That's part of – it's not like, oh, I've done my duty. I've dropped them off at school. All's good. No, I mean, you've dropped them off, but you got to stay involved with what are they learning, what it's being taught – is it okay? How the teacher's handling? I mean, everything. Um, listen, I mean, it is grave matter. <laughs> it is it is something that's very important. But I'm telling you, it's like everything else that is that the church says is important. If you pour yourself into it, while it can be challenging, it can it can make you very tired. The joy that comes from actually doing anything well and specifically working at trying to raise your kids with all the mistakes that you make and all the mistakes that they make is worth more than anything I've ever experienced with regard to 
the joy that you can feel as you draw towards the end of that. So I would encourage you, this is not like, hey, you're going to go to hell because you're not doing your job. This is this is uh, to encourage you to take seriously this and then go out there into this world and and say no matter you can always start the great thing is about the Catholic Church wake up go you know go to confession wake up it's a new day I'm I'm gonna live the new day this way so I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best now you know relationships take time so if you haven't had time in a relationship with kids you know but but I be be honest with yourself and then be honest with your children and your spouse. If you're making a decision to say, hey, I'm going to take this seriously now, you know, it's not something you just turn the switch and there it is, other than just turn the switch and start. But it's going to be hard if you haven't done it. But if you're new, then dive full throttle in and start from the beginning recognizing this is a great – as I understand it, and I'm not a canon lawyer and I don't have canon law, but I actually believe – I'm – 99% 99% certain that actually the being a parent is a canonical office. It is something that's recognized in the church as something that, that, that exists for a reason. Um, and so I, if you, if you need a, anyway, all you need to know is do it. The great news is like, any sacrament, the grace is provided, and the grace helps us to be more than we would be capable of being if we tried to do it by ourselves. That the grace elevates our nature and allows us to overcome things and allows us to um, do that which we couldn't do without the grace. So we have to trust that, okay, God's asking this of us. In fact, he's demanding it of us. But at the same time as he's demanding it of us, he is he's also going to pour out the graces necessary for us to overcome those things in us that keep us from fully living it out, knowing how to handle situations. So just trust that there is someone else more powerful than than us involved in this and um and just dive in and take a shot. I mean it's not gonna hurt. <laughs> to say today, you know, I'm going to try to do this one thing better. So anyway, it's encouraging. I hope I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want this to be. Yeah. I think it's uh, like a call to action. It's, it's the, the church saying, this is the most important thing that you can do. This has such, it has eternal consequences. It has profound meaning and purpose to, to your life, to the lives of others, to your eternal salvation. Take this seriously. Not again, not be quaking in your boots and be um uh, you know, unable to move or unable to act, paralyzed because it's so important, but rather take kind of like, you know, take pride in in that this is your role. This is your vocation. This is what you you get to do. Yeah. So, so be encouraged. I think is is really important. Yeah. So, so I think one of the ways to do this and and to put it in the context and recognizing what parenting is is to take seriously some of the some of the way that that people teach about parenting. And one of the ways is any to establish labels and be able to define. Okay, under this label, this is these are the things that would make a person this labels can be beneficial um in terms of talking but but frequently or rarely i guess rarely have i seen where people are all one label they just may predominantly tend towards one or the other in this case this person is actually going back and and now i'm as i'm looking at this i'm realizing that what 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 this lady is doing is extending it because it's there's this psychologist in the '60s named um, I'll, I'm going to ruin this Diana Baumrind or Baumrind. B-A- I would have said said a Baumrind. Baumrind. Mm-hmm. Uh, Diana Baumrind. If you're out there, you can correct us. But <laughs> but uh, but she wrote this deal, and this is what I've always heard. You know, the difference between a, a parenting styles being three types: authoritarian, permissive, and authoritative. And I think those are all 
things we want to talk about. And then she's, this lady is adding, which I think is maybe a substitute of, I mean, not a substitute, a subset of one of them, but probably is one by itself because I've, I've seen it um, just in kids that I've dealt with today. Mm -hmm. So, so I think we're just going to go through these and, and um, talk about them and then, and then maybe give some advice and, and go from there. That sounds all right with you. I think that is a fantastic idea. Good. <laughs> so, hey, let's begin. So we're talk- talking about, the- she starts off with authoritarian parenting. And, you know, I think if Stephanie were here, she would say this is kind of where she, I mean, not everybody's all that, but that, but parents who fall under this classification, uh, a parenting style demand absolute obedience from their children, no ifs, ands, or buts. And they, uh, those who practice this type of parenting do not believe that they need to explain any of the rules they set and they expect for children to obey no questions asked. Um, they exert their will over children and punish them with little warmth or support. Um, and then they go on, she goes on to extend that, you know, children of authoritarian parents often show low self-esteem, depression, and fear of new situations. And again, those are broad generalizations <laughs> that, that come and are helpful to a certain extent. But one of the things that I think is really Important. I don't think there's probably not a parent that is all this. Maybe there is, um, but there are parents who tend towards this. One of the biggest things I think you can do. Remember, we've always talked about well, one of the, the the main thing being the main thing, which is one of which is one of the seven um, secrets. <laughs> Keep the main thing. The main thing is the child's heart. And the only way you get to the heart is by getting beyond the outward obedience. Because because there there are there are children who will openly defy and those are easily those are easy to to find. But there are also children who will obey in in action because they've seen the punishment or whatever. They're like, I'm not going to do that, but they have no engagement of the heart. All they're doing is I'm obeying till I get out of here <laughs> and I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to stay out of trouble, keep my nose clean. And then I'm going to go, but I, I don't really, all I know is I don't want to make dad mad or I don't want to make mom mad. That's it. Um, I think that that's dangerous in terms of keeping the main thing, the main thing, the main thing is the child's entire self their heart and and to be strictly demanding of obedience without speaking to them about the moral reason why and I, and this i mean it's again like all the secrets it kind of crossover another secret is you coach right well the way you coach you know if you if you have a football coach or a basketball coach is teaching a move in football teaching you how do you you know get in a stance and how do you come off the ball and block and where do you put your head and all those type of things. It does help to explain why that is. Why do you stay lower than the other person? Well, because if you're higher than the other person, you're going to get run over, you know? So you can teach them, just do it the way I tell you, but it does help engage the entire person when you say, Hey, it's to your benefit to do it this way because it's going to help you in this situation when you find yourself there. And so we've always said to, to give the moral reason why to be a coach to your child means that if you're demanding obedience to something, there's got to be a, there's a real good reason why <laughs> they should obey. You know, one is they're three-year-old, four-year-olds running in the street and there's a car coming. Very simple get out of the road, obey me because you're going to get run over. But it could be any number of things explain why um, you say please and thank you. I mean, you can demand that of a child, but you should extend beyond the demanding of it and say this is why, you know, but p- please is is showing that you recognize the dignity of another person and mm-hmm. that the other person is deserving of being asked for something. And that when they give it to you, because they have been generous with it, then thank you is a proper response. That's worth the explanation 
because it, it that's the only way it gets to become because because I think sometimes like please and thank you for example you run across kids today that that if you don't remind them to say please and thank you they don't do it well I'm saying it if they get to a certain point certain age that means it's not become theirs if you're always having to say now what do you say <laughs> then I think you've got to take a little extra time to explain why it's important even. Wouldn't that be how you want to be treated? That That's another way you can say, I mean, so let's say you have some, how did that make you feel when somebody took that away from you or came and got it from you without asking? How'd that make you feel? Mm-hmm. Well, treat others the way you want to be treated. You know, so th- th- there are all ways there that you can engage them. You certainly can demand obedience, but this is our, this has been our rules. <laughs> there are times when you can ask why, and there are times when you cannot until you've already obeyed. You know, if you're mm-hmm. in the street running, you don't have a chance. I'm not going to explain why. Get out of the street. Why, why do you need to obey now? Because you're going to get hurt if you don't do that. But I will explain why once you get over here or mm-hmm. at another time. So mm-hmm. anyway, I don't know if you had any, any thoughts about that, but I think yeah. that's part of, the, part of the self-mastery, I think, was mentioned in there. It's not just an external mastery. You want to teach them how to master themselves. Well, the, one of the chief ways that you do that is to get them engaged in their mind and their heart about why do I do something and giving them a reason why they should do this or not do that. Right. Yeah. So <clears throat> first I would say it's going to be difficult to create a home where tenderness, forgiveness, respect, fidelity, and disinterested service are the rule if you're working from this authoritarian principle because all of those qualities are pretty well, um, they may occasionally crop up, but they're not, um, they're not a, a sort of a integral part of that, that way of parenting. And then to go back a little bit earlier in the catechism, it says in 2215, this is under the duties of children, respect for parents derives from gratitude toward those who, by the gift of their of life, their love, and their work, have brought their children into the world and enabled them to grow in stature. So respect and obedience, the catechism says, comes from gratitude and a recognition of justice, giving giving what's due to to one's parents. And that's not really what, I don't know, authoritar- the way that the authoritarian parent is described here is not really what that's about. It's kind of all duties and no... Um, right. No, no gratitude. Well, and part of the gratitude is, I think that you have, we've talked about this before, but I think that part of the issue as parents is you do need to remind your children and you have to check yourself. It's important that you check yourself that this is the motivating factor. Why am I telling them to not do something or to do something? Is it for their benefit? Is it going to help them avoid an accident? Is it going to help them as they grow older to learn why this is? I have told my kids all along, the reason I'm asking you to do this or encouraging you not to do that is for your benefit. <laughs> it's not because it's not because it, I'm going to benefit from it. It's, it's because, you know, like if I tell you, you know, you need to do your homework, you need to be concerned about what you're doing with that. I will always say, look, I've got my degree. I get nothing from you doing your homework. So ask yourself why I've told this kid, why am I encouraging you to do it? It, Because I don't have anything better to do. No, I, I do it because of you. So I'm, I'm establishing a limit or a demand, but it's for you. And I think sometimes if you are authoritarian, they perceive you as just lording it over them, you know, and, you know, Jesus says, my love is not like that. So if we're meant to be like him, it's not like that. In the world, those in charge lord it over them. But I'm meant to serve. So I think the the 
the authoritative, I mean, the authoritarian parent that we're talking about tends to be the one who lords over them. And so the perception is the kids are, okay, I'm obeying simply because he's the boss of me and I'll do it. But all I want is out of this house because when I get out of the house, I don't have to answer to him or her anymore. That's lording it over them. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says that we should yeah. be the servant. And so our authority, and that, and that actually is really important to remember. The church herself, who's often, you know, charged with being, um, and of course we're, we're supposed to be signs of the church, that we're domestic churches. The people who are in authority are meant to be people who are at the service of those people. In, in fact, the term in, even in public realms was what? Public service, right? I mean, that's what, a, that's what a congressman or a senator typically was. That was what it's called. They're, they, were doing, they were being a public servant. Now what we have is a lot of people doing it, it seems, for their own benefit. And if it's perceived as being for their own benefit – then what happens anytime when when somebody's in an authoritarian role as somebody to break away from, somebody who you can't trust because they're doing it for their best interest. Dad wants me to be quiet because he wants to watch the football game. (laughs) And if I don't do that, I'm going to get spanked or I'm going to get sent to my room or whatever. That's different than other other ways that we would handle that. Yeah, and I think – I think the other aspect of the authoritarian model is derived from the the, the name given to it. Um, authoritarians, in terms of governments, authoritarian governments are about the rulers. They're controlling the people and governing the the society solely for their own benefit, as you're saying, without any concern for. The well-being for the common good. There's no concept of that. So, um, yes, it's like a, a like family a dictator. Yeah. So, so a family where the child grows up believing that none of this is being done for my own good. I've never. It's never being shown to me. It's never being explained to me. It's never being modeled for me and how my um, my parents interact with one another. Right. Yeah. So, so you do. So it's again, a dangerous situation. It is, and 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 you may have perfect. It's possible to have perfectly behaved children <laughs> who come out of this. It's possible, but again, the gauge is not that. The gauge is not that. The gauge. The gauge is: Have we engaged the heart? Have they? Can they? Are they going to start to make decisions in ways that are consistent with? making the right decisions because they've learned, well, this is why I do what I do. Not just that mom and dad said you have to, but that this is why. And I want that to be part of who I am. Right. And that, so that's it. So authoritative gets back. The next one, uh, that's authoritarian. Authoritarian. Authoritarian is almost dictatorial. I mean, it's, it's kind of like top down (laughs) the, 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 the people in power, matter the most right. and those are subservient to them that's not a christian way the the flip side of that and maybe the maybe the opposite of that is what's called um permissive parenting right and so and so permissive parenting um they don't imp- they don't discipline or impose rules this is as the, they don't they don't want to have conflict with their children um and they believe that they that the children can regulate themselves. Um, typically, they're warm emotionally and responsive to their children, which is good. But they are reluctant to set boundaries or control their kids' behavior, which isn't so good. Um, they give in to their kids' demands and ignore misbehavior, which can have negative consequences for the kids. And research has shown that children who are raised by permissive parents are impulsive. They disregard rules and limits. They tend to have escalating levels of aggression and a higher risk of substance abuse um, as they get older, and even a higher risk of depression. And this is from the hmm. from the from the research. Hmm. But 
again, you know, there is this false sense. It says that we're meant to, you know, the catechism says that we're meant to show parent, how is a kid going to know how to behave? And I've heard people say, I'm going to let them figure it out when they get older. You know, I'm going to let them make a decision on what they believe when they're, when they get out of the house. Um, I'm not going to impose anything on them. Well, you know, I mean, the reality is life sets limits. <laughs> I, you're, you're doing a disservice. A person who does this is doing a disservice because it's not in any way similar to what life is like. <laughs> I mean, we're meant to send them out in the world at a minimum. Limits exist. They exist whether we like them or not. But in most cases, similarly, a limit is for a reason. We drive on the right side of the road so that we all know <laughs> that if I'm driving on the right side of the road and that car that's coming towards me is going to stay over there. And there's lines that say, okay, be on this side. And if we're in, in England or wherever, it's flipped around. But there is some construct that says you're limited to driving, if you're headed this direction, on that side of the road. Well, even more so, even more fundamentally, limits are a in nature. For for okay. example, we cannot fling ourselves off of a cliff and hope to survive because the law of gravity. Right. Okay. And then there are limits in mathematics. You cannot make two plus two equals five. Really? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so there are, yeah, there are, there are you know, mathematical I, and phys, physical, and those and the limit, limits to the to the universe in which we live. And there's a certain beauty to having those limits. I mean, there's there there is, I mean, and can I can I take it yeah, one just before? One step, yeah, and so much so that if those mathematical and physical laws and limits were not there and did not operate the way that they do, there would not be life. So right. limits are necessary for life. Right. And so so if you go back to the, the, the Old Testament, they when they when they wanted to, to do it, one of the things that said you know, all these people were not behaving and they didn't like limits. So the Tower of Babel, they're trying to reach, you know, go to God, go to heaven by building this tower, all the different things that they did. I've always been told that the flood is not God fl- inflicting something on us that we didn't want, but basically saying, okay, you don't want any limits. This is what happens when there are no limits. I'll give you what you asked for. No limits means everything floods. And so we're glad that there are limits. We're glad that there's only so long daylight and there's only so long of nighttime that we're glad that we can count on certain things. And so it's not a, a, it's not reality to not set limits. And sometimes those limits, even in real life, we don't like. Part of life is accepting those limits because that's what they are. And, you know, I may be in a hurry and I may be mad that the light turned red, but I need to know that I need to stop at that light because there's other people counting on me to stop at that light even though it might make me later to the meeting than I want. So we've got to learn that limits are for our good. Well, how do you learn that? It, you learn that in the home first and foremost. And you can understand why you might have certain types of misbehavior, because guess what? If they grow up in a house where there is no limit setting and the, everything's permitted, well, guess what? When they go to school, do you think the principal, you know, the teacher is going to say, hey, just sit wherever you want. You know, if you need to go, just leave. I mean, that's not reality. And so you're going to see people that they get angry because they think, well, if I want to go do this, I've always been able to go do that. And now somebody's going to set a limit. Who are they to do that? And so that's one of the things that you can see that misbehavior is that. The other thing is, is that Conflict is part of life as well. Healthy conflict in a home, you know, in a marriage even, between a husband and a wife, is is good frequently. You know, my, my dad used to always say, Mom and I disagree on something, and we may get into a, an argument, 
But it's because I care enough about what she thinks and she cares enough about what I think to figure out how do we co, you know, exist, get to a point where we can live together in this. And, and oftentimes I've found between Stephanie and I that the better answer is not my answer, not hers, but somewhere in between the two. Some, somewhere in between mine and, and Stephanie's is almost always the better answer to a problem. Mm-hmm. But we wouldn't have gotten there if it was just me making a decision or her making a decision. So so we need to you know, make sure that conflict is shown how to resolve conflict, how to get through conflict is something that's part of creating a home that shows that. Yeah. I mean, if forgiveness is part of it, then you got to have something to forgive. Well, oftentimes, you know, what I have to be forgiven for is me losing my temper. It's it happens in conflict frequently. Right. You're you're hitting on the the justice that is at the basis of any all human interaction that it's a it's a back and forth, it's a give and take, it's give, it's doing for others based on um giving them their due. And just as the authoritarian style says that it's all about the parent, the permissive style says it's it's all about the children. It's just, it's whatever they want anytime that they want, never, never showing them and demonstrating to them that no, you, you must, you have to think about other people other than yourselves, your, your siblings, your, your parents, there are limitations as to what we can give you, what we can allow you to do. And, uh, and, and I you think have that, to make choices, right? And it's there's and it, consequences. All those things all are those things. That's what a that's what a family's meant to be. So you're not being an ogre if you're demanding. You know, you can have a good relationship with your child and still demand certain things from them because guess what? They've got to learn how to accept that. Um, without being a dictator, you can say this is a, I mean, this is part of that. So I think. Those two are the opposite ends. It's about the family as a whole. And so I think that we can probably skip to the one that she adds because I think we're going to end with the one that right. tends to be the, the one that she adds, which is not part of the original research, but I think is accurate, is the fourth style is identified by researchers Eleanor McCoby and John Martin, I guess recently, that describes a method of parenting in which there is little communication lack of involvement in their kids' lives, little warmth and responsiveness to kids' emotional needs, and inadequate or insufficient attention to disciplining kids or supervising them. Uninvolved parenting is associated with the worst outcomes for children. Kids who are raised with this style tend to be emotionally withdrawn, anxious, and maybe even at a greater risk for delinquent or dangerous behaviors as well as substance abuse. An uninvolved, I mean, the at least authoritarian parents and permissive parents are engaging in their family. And for better or for worse, at some level, whether it's probably understood or not, a child knows that somebody actually cares about them whether they, whether or not they like them or not whether they like how it is they're they're they feel like they're part of something maybe something they don't want to be a part of um depending on how it is but uninvolved parents are the flip they they're 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 getting nothing from from those people it's almost worse it well it is worse because i think we're meant for interaction we're even meant the conflict is can be a positive thing in, in certain circumstances, but to just sitting in a vacuum by yourself right. is to be isolated, and we're not meant to be in isolation. Right. Obviously, the permissive parenting tells the child that they matter. Right. But interestingly, the authoritarian style tells the child that they matter as well. It's just that it's telling the child, you matter because you are sometimes an obstacle to me getting what I want. The the uninvolved parent says, Whatever. "You don't. You matter so little. I'm not even a part of your life." Right. And so John Paul II talks about that if that, that if a person does not, person can't come to know God who is love unless they experience love in this life, 
Well, it's apathy uh, raised to parenting. I'm sorry. Well, so an apathy, but a- so, an apathy, an apathy is so. I would say love and hate are not opposites, yeah. <laughs> because both are invested in the other. Right. W- whether it's for better or for worse, apathy is the opposite of love. So I don't care. Right. <laughs> so much so I don't. I mean, do whatever you want. You mean nothing to me. So you don't. You receive you uh, little understanding of what love is. You don't you don't get that. You get a misinformed sense of what love is, but you have an idea of what love is right. in authoritative authoritarian authoritarian, dictatorial, you know, top down parenting or permissive parenting. You you get a misconstrued, a bad sign, so to speak, of what love is, but you do get gift. I mean parents are giving something what whatever it is. To to the child, an uninvolved parent is somebody who's just, hey, you exist, great, go do what you've got to do, and we'll we'll see you later. And it should be no surprise that the that those are the worst outcomes. Yeah, yeah. It, it robs the child of even like you're saying, even a often warped model of. Or love. Any, and even a sense of belonging to a something belonging, more yeah. to something. So even in, in an authority home or a permissive home, there is a sense of belonging to something because there is engagement between everybody in that home, for better or for worse. An an apathetic home, an uninvolved parent, there may be no engagement. I don't care what you you figure out what you're going to eat. You know, I mean, no sit down meals, no anything. So I think that's dangerous, but I think right now you, you're living in a society where you know parent, you know, dads have divorced themselves, pun intended, from many situations. Mm-hmm. Sometimes parents, you know, because of financial struggles, they may want to be involved, but they're not involved, um, or they maybe they don't. They right. just I don't care. The uninvolved yeah. uninvolved parenting is the exact opposite of this first line of 2221. 2221 says the fecundity of conjugal love cannot be reduced solely to the procreation of children, but must extend to their moral education and the spiritual formation. And uninvolved parenting says, no, that's all it is, is creating the child. Yeah, you create the child and then you go off and do what you got to do. Yeah, so I think that's the da- most dangerous one, and even the research is saying that yeah. it is the most dangerous. Yeah. So, so what's the answer? The answer is as is to be a, an authoritative parent, and I would say they'd be a purposeful parent. And what that means is that that we bring the best of all <laughs> those other ones to bear and get rid of the at least and strive to get rid of the. Um, bad aspects of those. So what are those? We should set limits. But those limits should, as we've talked about parenting in the funnel for years, you know, that that you are should be looking at ways to increase freedom so that kids can make choices. But when they don't make choices, when given the freedom, you should take back those freedoms and say, look, you do need to get that freedom, but you're going to have to show you have the responsibility. So you're engaging the child. I think also an authoritative, I mean, yeah, an authoritative parent or a purposeful parent. That's really tripping you up today. It is because authoritative, <laughs> you know, I, I would have said like a dictator, yeah. dictatorship, uh, uh, you know, versus authoritarian. But but it is tripping me up. But an authoritative parent is a is a person who has answers because again, as a parent, we should say, I do know better than you in most circumstances. And it's good news that I know better than you. That's why a family exists the way it is. I can help you as long as my sole purpose or chief purpose is I'm using what I know and the fact that the child has been given to us and we as parents have done for the benefit of the child to help them go out into this world. So I frequently have told my kids, it's, that's much later, but I think every parent should do this as long as you're actually actively doing it. You should always tell your kids, my job is to make you be able to go out in the world and function on your own. I'd like you to come and consult with me, but I don't want you to have to worry 
about how to make this decision or do that, or should I do this homework or go out and party with my friends? Or, I mean, that I, that we've taught you how to set your own limits. Like I said, parenting in the funnel doesn't end with leaving. It's like you have to create your own funnel at that point. There's things you're going to have to say no to, but there's nobody telling you you have to say no to it. When I become an adult, I still have to say no to things that I may want to do because I've got to say yes to things that I need to do. So anyway, challenge you to be purposeful and authoritative (laughs) in your parenting. So anyway, hopefully that was helpful. I think it's good to go back over things and show that the church, pull out your catechism and do that. I think that this... um, that this verse twenty two twenty one to twenty two thirty one, right? In and the so catechism. I, and so I think that the, for the verse for the day, um, it should be this Hebrews twelve eleven for the for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Later, it yields that the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so mm. there is there is benefit from discipline. And so we need as parents to recognize that that's our job. And just because, just because they don't like it at the time, that doesn't mean that it's not going to yield ultimate fruit. And the, the author of the article even says that children who are raised in authoritative homes are, they're better able to make decisions for themselves. They are more respectful. They have better, more secure attachments they are more popular at school. They're more empathetic, kind, and warm. So the there's real advantages for them. them. For and that's them, what and that's what we should. That's what we should be doing. So, anyway, uh, Hebrews twelve eleven, I think, is a verse for the for the for the week. Anyway, thank y'all so much for listening. Uh, remember, pray, parent with a purpose, and prepare for God to amaze you. God bless. Cross.